911. What is your emergency? I just found a body. I don't know what to do. Government officials insist that this is an isolated incident. You are listening to Nightcap, a true crime podcast. If the mystery of murder intrigues you, or if you find crime quite a curiosity. Welcome home. Pour yourself a drink, sit back, and buckle up. It's gonna get dark. Be warned, this podcast does contain explicit content and graphic descriptions of real-life accounts and cases. Listener discretion is definitely advised. All right, guys. Glasses up. Woo! Cheers! Clinky clank. And we're being noisy and taking shots just to start <laughs> the shit off. All right, what's up? All right. You guys noticed the last episode. I didn't edit shit. <laughs> Still sounded great, though. I did. say. But we're back again, and if you guys don't know us, we are Nightcap True Crime, and we are about to do one of our infamous shenanigans called Murder Matchup. Mm. What is Murder Matchup, you might ask? Murder Matchup is a little ditty that I made up that we go on to murderpedia.org. We pick a random number, we pick a random gender, and then we just fly by the seat of our pants and we go with the case that we were given. So last week, if you listened to our episode last week... We got our numbers, we did our thing, we did the typey-typey, and now we're back on our bullshit. So, I'm Susie. And I'm Gavin. And I'm a potato. (laughs) (laughs) I'm a potato. I'm Hardy, and I'm just your friendly neighborhood softie over here with another night of shenanigans. 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 Yeah, that works. Brittany is not here due to a power outage, which means she can't rev up her Ladytron 3000. So she's uh, sitting this one out, unfortunately. No, oh, no. That sounds like a vibrator. <laughs> wow, Susie. I'm just saying. That's, yeah, that is precisely where I was going with that. Yeah, but we miss you, Britt. We're, we're with you in spirit, wherever you are. So to start things off, we always she's talk about... in Portland. Oh, well, I don't know where she is. I thought, I don't know. She might have moved around or something. You don't know. I think she's still in that general vicinity. Pacific Northwest. We all are. It's fine. Since you're not here, Brittany, we're just going to talk about you. (laughs) Love you. Miss you. All right. Well, to start things off, we always talk about what we drink. And tonight I am drinking, what am I drinking? Blue Moon Light Sky Citrus Wheat. And if you guys listen to season one, you know I'm a blue moon type of bitch. Came out this one. It's brewed with tangerine peel, and it's only 95 calories and 4% alcohol. Don't they usually use the Valencia orange? Yeah, this one's tangerine. Interesting. Tangerine peel. They are broadening their spectrum with the mango and the tangerine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whatever. But what are you drinking, Hardy? I I am drinking um, Washington Gold Cider. It is a local cider. From Chelan, Washington, and this is the Orchard Blend Original. It is a very, very nice um, apple juice sort of flavored cider. <laughs> I don't like, know how to like help. an OG cider. It, it it's does, apple. It's just tastes like apple cider, but then plus like the hard part. You know, Hardy's just drinking Martinelli's over there. He's lying. No, no, he's no, pretending no. to be drunk. It's, it's got a five point five percent ABV. He's lying. He's pretending. <laughs> it is twenty five point four ounces, so it's a lot. <laughs> he's sitting at the little kids' table. It's fine. <gasps> Bitch. <laughs> I'm just joking. Oh, there's the thunk. Well, that's got a good thunk. Good that thunk? sounds good. Gabby, what are you drinking? Well, 
I am drinking another mojito uh, doohickey here that I found at Total Wine and More called Riverside Drinkworks. It's a mojito, natural parts, crafty process, the moji with the mojo. <laughs> it is brewed with real cane sugar, natural cucumber, and lime flavors. And I have to tell you, I was unprepared for what was about to hit my face hole when I took the first sip of this because there was a lot going on. And that's not a bad thing. It was very delicious. There's a lot on this can, thankfully. That's why I picked it. <laughs> it's skillfully assembled. <laughs> it says, keep iced, stay chill, nido, mojito. The classic mojito gets crafty pairing cool cucumber with tangy lime and a pinch of natural mint. It's also made by No Lie. No Lie, that's a Spokane local. Mm-hmm. It is a local. Hell yeah. And I'm also, because Brittany is not here, I'm going to tell you about a drink that is non-alcoholic, which is the three-spirit Livener, which is a wine, non-alcoholic wine for um, Karen out there. I mean, she's probably not listening Good to God. us, but just in case she is. She give up. This invigorating elixir is the perfect party pick-me-up. Enjoy euphoric feels from, I cannot pronounce that, Gai- Gaiuaza, Guava Leaf, and <laughs> Shishet. I did not pick this. <laughs> I should have picked, okay, Shishandra. And big flavors from vibrant berries, bright aromatics, and heat. It is non-alcoholic, ethically sourced, and sustainably packaged. No artificial colors or flavors. It is a 42.5 calories per serving. Vegan and gluten-free. And clean caffeine. I think it has it's clean of caffeine. Gotcha. There's missing an of there. I don't know why you would put caffeine in wine. That seems a little weird. But then, I mean, mm-hmm. maybe you would want some caffeine if you're drinking wine. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, maybe. especially if it's not alcoholic. You need a little kick. I don't know. A little kick me up. But yeah, so that one's there for you uh, non-drinkers out there. <clears throat> and I suppose we can get into some murder matchup. Murder matchup. All right, well, I opted to go first this time so I don't sound like a drunk asshole later when I'm more... Under the influence, yeah. So I started off, I got, I think it was, you know, J19 male. I don't remember. But I got the case. That's what matters. So we're starting off with Ray Sean Jackson. The year was 1990 in Kansas City, Missouri, and police were on the hunt for a man that they had dubbed the Gillum Park Strangler. It had been one year, September 1989 through April 1990, since the bodies of unsuspecting women had been turning up in the local Gillum Park. Not only had these bodies been turning up dead, but they were discovered posed in disgusting, provocative sexual poses, as well as their bodies being completely disrespected after death. For example, one woman was found with mud shoved in her mouth and her clothes thrown around and scattered at the crime scene. The serial killer was then described as a rape slayer, with his motives being of the dark, sexual, and murderous type. (sighs) Yeah, not fun. So drugs were also, drugs also played a factor in the murders and lures as this man was offering to smoke crack cocaine with these women as a trap. You want to smoke some crack? Come with me. We're going to go into the bushes. Enticing, to say the least, I'm sure. Sure. Yeah, not my cup of tea. Yeah. Mushrooms, maybe. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so the victims were Michelle Mitchell, 22, found April 5th, 1990. Annette Stewart, 33, found September 16th, 1989. Kimberly Creer, 
22, found September 20th, 1989. Teresa Williams, 21, found October 22nd. Janice Berryman, 36, found October 28th. And Tanya Ward, 23, found January 18th. Their cause of death was strangulation. For every single one of them. Mm-hmm. Wow. That's, yeah. That, hence the Gillum Park Strangler. I mean, I guess it, yeah. Yeah. They dubbed him. They gave him the name. Which I don't think you should do that. I mean, no, don't you know, them. like, don't make them feel better about themselves. Yeah. Like, especially serial killers because they're like, oh, that's the name. Oh, Jesus. Jesus Louise. <laughs> Sorry. He's also Thirsty. drinking cider. <laughs> All right, so getting into it, local authorities and media were said to have not paid too much attention to this case because most of the women were of African-American descent, as well as prostitutes, and the public was outraged because of the lack of concern, considering this was a fucking serial killer at large, and it shouldn't matter who his victims are. Yeah, it sounds like systemic racism all over again. Exactly, and the sex workers' lives matter. Yeah. Just saying. Absolutely. So later on April 9th, 1990, just four days after the last body was found, the Gillum Park Strangler attempted to strike again. This time, he was unsuccessful. An anonymous woman came forward to police after being approached by a Ray Jackson, who was only 22 at the time. Oh, baby. Yeah. At night in the park, asking her to join him. She refused, but was met yet again by Jackson later when he knocked her down, dragged her into some bushes, and began choking her. Her life was only spared because a man came by walking his dog and frightened Jackson away. So this sounds incredibly like the one that happened in England with the lady and the dog walker mm. that, that walked her dog through the park all the time and then found the, the two bodies. Oh, yes. Yeah, the yeah. grinder killer. Yeah, the, the, right. the, the dating app. bro. Yeah. Was that Brittany's case? That was mine. That oh. was Gavin's, yeah. Oh, right, right, right. Yeah, that was crazy. Yeah. But yeah, same thing. Saved her life. So it was at this point that all the evidence, composite drawings, and thousands, quote unquote, thousands of hours of investigation. I didn't know about that one, so I put it into quotes because yeah, the public said, said yeah. the media and investigators and police weren't doing shit. And the police was like, thousands of hours of investigation. So mm-hmm. I'm like, I'll throw them both in there. Whatever. So it came down and targeted one single suspect because of the anonymous woman's identification of him, as well as more than 300 phone calls claiming that Jackson was well known to be the murderer as he was bragging to his fellow community members. <clears throat> That's not a, a huh. bright tactic there. Yeah, we'll get into that. Okay. So after bringing him into custody and getting an identification, they were able to or then able to interrogate Jackson. He showed no dishonest bone in his body as he confessed to the killings with ease. Described as a semi-literate laborer, Jackson did show some sympathy for what he had done. Quote, unquote, I don't know why I did this. I was raised to be good. I know you were all mad at me and wish I was dead. I ain't never done nothing like this my whole entire life. I didn't even ever rob nobody. Except for, you know, you're out there strangling and, you know, murdering and raping people. And posing them disgustingly. And then posing them. So it's like... Yeah, Yeah, get fucked, dude. Right. For his confessions, he was waived of the death penalty and was sentenced to six counts of first-degree murder, so six life sentences, plus a life term for assaulting the seventh woman who had escaped his stranglehold. So that was multiple counts of life without parole. But he didn't get the death sentence, though. Taxpayer dollars. Mm -hmm. 
So although he confessed to the murders, his public defenders had tried to convince the court that police had coerced him and took advantage of him because he had such a quote-unquote childlike mental condition, which of course did not stick because the crimes were too gruesome. Jackson, during trial, had actually walked into the courtroom and burped loudly, smiled big and chuckled, and then waved his rights to a jury before confessing to the killings and then ducked his head in shame and began rocking back and forth, hiding below the witness stand to give you an example of his public demeanor. Yeah, just complete ridiculousness. Well, they were saying that so he has like the childlike mentality or, you know, whatever. I mean, there was no anything about like if he had some kind of like mental... Well, condition thinking, or thinking about it, he's coming down off of smoking crack. And he's only 22 years old. And he's I mean, only 22. That's yeah, not long enough for men to fucking Yeah, he's not mature. even mentally developed. <laughs> yeah. On top of... What do they say? 25? Through, yeah, it's 25. <laughs> for men. Right. Um, Didn't we talk about that last week? <laughs> was it? Was it last week? Yeah. The whole hazing crimes thing. Oh, There's a did. pattern. Oh, we did. We did. Yeah, we did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're all right. young, dumb, and stupid. Young, dumb, and stupid. Yeah. Yeah. So his confession included the statement, quote unquote, I had asked her if she wanted to get high and she said, yeah. He said he then walked them to a private area within the park or close, choked them from behind until they lost consciousness, eventually woke them, stripped them and proceeded to rape and strangle them. Wow. Yeah, horrible. Prosecutor Pat Peters said they, the women, weren't picked because of anything they had done in the past. They were just out on the street. A perfect example of wrong place, wrong time. Homicide detective Ronald Russell, who had interrogated Ray after his initial arrest, said that nearly all the victims were found after an overnight rain and that he, quote unquote, couldn't sleep after a rainy night because he knew that they would then find a body the next day in Gillum Park. He, Ray Jackson, liked to walk in the rain. (sighs) So his final words on the stand before given his sentence, he said, dumb and stupid. Rayshon Jackson, 24 at the time, sat on the witness stand at the end of his confession in front of the families who had lost their daughters, mothers, sisters, and family members. All he could do was shake his head in shame. And that's my story on the Gillum Park Strangler. Fuck. All right. That was a short, not so sweet, and to the point. Yeah, horrible. One of those really unknown serial killers that, you know, just flew away into the nothingness and... Now he is, I mean, he was tried in 1990, so now he's fucking 50. Yeah, close 50, to 50 years 52, old. 52, something like yeah, that. Yeah, still rotting away in prison. Or 54. Pretty bad, but he got what he deserved. Now we're moving on to Gavin. What were you at, Gavin? You got a female C11. C11, which, just so you guys know, if you're just listening for some random reason, we pick gender, letter, number. Super fun, super great. What do you got for us? All right, this is the murder of Baby Lollipop. Baby Lollipop? Yep. We'll get to there. Okay. We'll, yeah. we'll get to it, I promise. Lazaro Figueroa was born October 17th, 1987 to his mother, Anna Maria Cardona, and Fidel Figueroa. Lazaro had two other siblings, a two-year-old sister and a seven-year-old brother. Anna Cardona lived in a lavish, well-maintained upscale apartment living her best life. Question mark. <laughs> His father, Fidel, was a well-known drug dealer and died under mysterious circumstances on September 20th, 1987, a month prior to Lazaro's baby lollipop's birth. To this day, his father's death still remains unsolved and is a mystery. Fidel left a $100,000 estate to Anna that she blew through in a matter of 10 months. Good God. 
That's real fast. During this time, Lazaro and his sister lived with friends and relatives. Eventually, down the road, Lazaro and his sister were taken in by court order and sent to the Department of Health and Rehabilitative Services, which I assume is something along the lines of CPS. Right. Yeah, it sounds similar. <clears throat> when Lazaro was 11 months old, he was healthy and weighed about 20 pounds. In November of 1988, Lazaro and his sister were returned to the custody of their mother, Anna. The order of events from here forward are a bit graphic, and I would just like to give out a blanket trigger warning to anyone who is sensitive to the topic of child abuse, because mm. that shit gets real uh, rough, oh, no. even for me. Not long after the children were released back into Anna's care, Anna began a romantic relationship with Olivia Gonzalez Mendoza. The two lovebirds and the children all lived together in a string of cheap motels. Why did oh. they give the kids back to her then? What the fuck kind of bullshit is that? Like, you need to confirm that have, you have a home. Have you any understanding about how our child protective services mm. work in no, this country? No, but I got country? an opinion about it. Oh, we got lots of opinions. Right. Just saying. Olivia was no saint. Her career was, well, criminal. Mm. Together, they would get jobs at various places and then shoplift. This woman really knows how to pick them. Within 18 months that the children had been back in their care, Anna beat, choked, starved, confined, emotionally abused, oh. and systematically tortured Lazaro. Wait, so was Lazaro the youngest? Yep. Right, he had two old... Okay. Little Lazaro spent most of his time tied to a bed, left oh. in a bathtub, with hot or cold water running, or locked in a closet. All just to avoid changing his diaper for as long as possible. Oh, fuck you. Oh, my God. What a cunt. Okay, sorry. I'm going to cuss a lot this episode. I can already tell, so. Anna would wrap duct tape around Lazaro's diaper to hold in the boy's excrement. (gasps) Anna once blamed Lazaro for her descent from riches to rags and often referred to him as a bad birth. I told you this was rough. I fucking hate the child ones. Olivia was fully aware of the abuse, even joining Anna in the torture because it pleased Anna. November 2nd, 1990, in Miami Beach, the body of a small boy was discovered by several Florida Power and Light Company employees in the backyard of a home under a small outcropping of bushes. The body was dressed wearing a white shirt adorned with lollipops and blue shorts. He remained unidentified for weeks. The sheriff's department and the media named him Baby Lollipop. How old was he at the time? Three. Mmm... The boy's body was so emaciated, weighing in at 18 pounds at the autopsy. The average weight for a 37-month-old child should be in the range of 31 to 35 pounds. The coroner found a head wound that had occurred hours before his death. They found bruises covering the entirety of his body, cigarette burns on his left cheek, broken teeth, broken bones, and bed sores from being bound to a mattress for extended periods of time. Oh my god. His diaper was caked with excrement and attached to his body using brown packing tape. His left arm was also permanently fixed at a 90-degree angle. This was due to a shoulder injury that caused his body to turn his shoulder joint into bone, rendering his arm useless. He had deep bruising on his left hand and palms, indicative of defense wounds. An uncountable amount of scars from previous traumas and injuries he sustained prior to his death. His cause of death was from a blow to the head with a baseball bat. Holy shit. I don't... Like, I know we do this often, and we talk about murder, and we talk about the deaths of people. It really, really draws a line with me when it comes to defenseless fucking children. 
because I'm a mother and I have a four-year-old and that's like even imagining my child like getting kidnapped and that if that would happen to him or something or any child that's a fucking it's horrific it's also different when you're researching it and then when you're having to say it out loud I'm sure toxicology and labs show that he was extremely malnourished anemic and severely dehydrated Evidence clearly noted that the extent of his injuries, past and present, put a timeline together that makes me absolutely sick to my stomach. 18 months this child was abused and tortured. Remodeled arm fractures, skull fractures, underlying subdural and subarachnoid hematomas, as well as his top two teeth had not fallen out but had been knocked out. Damage to his jaw also suggested that he had been repeatedly gagged. There was more. There was so, 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 so much more. But I'm going to skip the details, or the rest of them at least, because even though we don't usually skip the details, I honestly have to because the list is literally as long as my entire case. And I cannot continue to say all those things out loud. Eventually, several weeks later, the Miami Beach Police Department hosted a media conference. And because of this conference, several leads came forward, and Lazaro was identified. It was now time to track down those responsible. Authorities eventually caught up with Anna, who had flown to Orlando with her then-girlfriend Olivia and the other two children. The reason they went to Orlando, you may ask? Oh, it was only because they had learned that Lazaro's body had been found. Oh, they were fucking running. During interviews, Anna gave several versions of her story of what happened that day. One version was that Lazaro had fallen off the bed and died. Oh, yeah, sure. What about all the rest of the fucking trauma? But of course, authorities weren't buying it. Anna told authorities that she often left the children in the care of others, sometimes months at a time. She argued that because of those long periods of time, there was no way that all of these injuries could be her doing and definitely not her responsibility. Yeah, fucking shitbag of a Except person. for the sheer fucking fact that uh, that's your child and they are your responsibility. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Both Olivia and Anna told police that after the fall off the bed, they had attempted to revive him. When that failed, they took the boys to a Miami Beach residence and left him on a doorstep so the people who lived there could help him. So they're blaming somebody else for... Instead of taking him to the fucking hospital, let's let's just, you know, burden some... Some rich fucking some people. Person. Dr. Haima, who I am pretty sure is the coroner, Testified in court that the injuries that Lazaro had sustained were sufficient to cause death. That the total of his injuries, most definitely the brain injuries, was enough to render the child incapacitated and would lead to the boy's death. The blow to the back of his head sheared the nerves connecting the spinal cord to the rear of the child's brain. Even though this injury was fatal, he was already dying from the previous injuries at the time the fatal blow was inflicted. And the dehydration and the malnutrition and... Fuck. The Dade County Courthouse said in response to this crime, it appears likely that any negative effect of Cardona's relationship with Gonzalez was lost in the overwhelming horror of the mistreatment of the victim. The trial judge concluded that the long period of time over which this baby was subject to torture, abuse, pain, suffering separates this crime from all other crimes seen in the Dade County Courthouse within the memory of Within the memory of anyone working in that building. I need a minute. He was just a baby. 
In Murder Matchup, we do not get the joy of choosing the fun ones or the interesting ones. We sometimes come across these ones like Scotty's Torture Terrors that just rock you to the core. All right. Anna argued during trial in 1992 that her girlfriend was the one who tortured Lazaro. That she was the one who murdered him. However, several people who were acquainted with Anna told the court everything the prosecutors and the jury already knew. Well, thank God for those people that spoke up for the baby. Yeah. Olivia testified on the last day of October, the day before Lazaro's death, Anna got pissed off and she hit Lazaro with a bat over the head because he was taking too long to take his diaper off. She made him take his own diaper off at three. A mm-hmm. diaper that was taped, taped, taped to, to him with body. packing tape. I'm sure that trend wasn't just a one-time ordeal either. Well, the boy. It could have been that every time he had to take off his own diaper, he got beat for how slow it took because his arm was fixed at 90 degrees. They literally handicapped this child. <sighs> she stated that Anna hit Lazaro until a hole opened up in his head. It was cracked, she said. She then told the court that she attempted to put mercury on it and applied a plastic band-aid. Mercury? Mercury. I, that's what it said, and I that also confused me. I'm assuming she may have meant some sort of other thing. I highly doubt that it was legitimately mercury, but that's literally straight from the court document. Things got quite heated in court between the two lovers. Olivia labeled Anna a murderer and a monster who forced her to succumb to a sexual relationship in exchange for food and shelter for herself and her children. Judge David L. Tobin described Lazaro's lengthy abuse as the most heinous, atrocious, and cruel crime of all time. Anna Cardona was found guilty of first-degree murder as well as aggravated child abuse. She was sentenced to death based on the condition of her son's body, becoming Florida's first woman to be sentenced to death row in 1992. Oh, well, thank fuck for that. Mm. That is rightfully so. I was waiting for the sentencing because I'm like, I swear yeah. to God, if this bitch just got a fucking slap on the wrist for child abuse or child murder, what you know? Yeah. I, I am. Hold I your cringe. breath. Hold your oh, no. Out. Are you fucking kidding me? No. Unfortunately, her sentence was overturned due to a Brady violation by the prosecution team who failed to allow defense attorneys access to interviews with Olivia. So the Florida State Supreme Court granted her a second trial in 2002. Some bullshit stuff happened up in that court, but she was again sentenced to death for the second time. The judge on the case stated, Anna Maria Cardona, you have forfeited your right to live. Lazaro was tortured to death. Yeah. 100%. And it doesn't end there. Oh, my God. Anna spent 17 years on death row before her verdict was overturned by a higher court once again because the prosecution had used arguments that improperly inflamed the minds and passions of the jurors. Oh, because he was a fucking child. Oh, nope. I'm fucking mad now. The prosecution during this third trial in 2017 did not seek the death penalty. During this trial, a neighbor testified that she closed the door. It didn't appear that any lights were on, but the shower was going and he was screaming. She stated to the court that Lazaro was very, very small, very, very thin and very frail. However, once again, Anna claimed under oath that she did not inflict significant abuse on her son or break any of his bones. She even went as far as recanting her 1990 statement that Lazaro fell off the bed and hit his head. Instead, she placed all the blame on Olivia, insisting that Olivia struck Lazaro with the baseball bat. 
Well, did did Olivia not get charged at all? She did. Well, yeah, I mean, rightfully fucking so. Who would stand back and like let that fucking happen? She could have just turned her in and then figured out oh, life from 100%, then on. Hundred percent. She could have just mean, been like, I was trapped in this abusive relationship, or you know, unless she was. I mean, fear is definitely a gen, you know, a genuine reason to not do something until it becomes a human rights mm, but then at the same, violation. At the same time, Olivia was a grown-ass fucking woman, and if you were there for that fucking long, like, you can go fucking out on the street and panhandle. There's group homes. There's, you know, resources that you could find if you were really desperate and you were in a, you know, domestic... And, and this was the 90s? There's plenty to so, say that they were yeah, was both better. doing it. Doing it. Right. No, yeah. 100%. So, like, they're both at fucking fall. But yeah. just the recanting of the statement... Yep. Of oh he fell off the bed oh just kidding she did it like that would be enough if I was in a fucking juror seat to be like you're fucking batshit crazy and you should fucking be dead by now like as it fucking is yeah I I also feel like that we benefit from the time where we get to listen to all these podcasts and true crime podcasts where we're like you know what no I I know too much to say that the, I mean we're a lot more enlightened right in what is right and potentially wrong aside from just like a surface level opinion you mean correct right. yeah there there's so much more information that we have garnered as a generation right you get what i'm saying yeah totally so anna's defense lawyers attempted to persuade the jury that while anna was a terrible monster she was not necessarily a murderer oh. he stated in court the charge of aggravated child abuse may have been proven but that the charge of murder had not. Even okay, though boy. even though the coroner had plenty of evidence to prove otherwise. Yeah, if you came to court all... and if that boy was alive and he was found in the condition that he was in, fucking death sentence. Fuck you. Yeah, I'm yeah, just saying, he, fuck you. If it's a fucking child. It was attempted murder. If it was like her girlfriend murder. or something and they were in an abusive relationship like that, those are two adults. I don't know. I mean, it, it's just as bad, but not really, though. In my mind, it's, it, that's, a, that's an innocent fucking child. If this was, I don't care know, whether he died or didn't die. If he succumbed, to, if he was under that amount of torture. And that your fucking care. right there. Like, exactly. That right there. Like, people that get found and their kids are fucking like horrifically beaten and abused and tortured and whatever else. Like, death sentence well and even if this was say it lazaro wasn't a child and it was a full-grown man same fucking thing totally they torture literally severed half of his brain stem right. with that baseball bat right. that and he was going to die before that that's murder it's way too heinous for it to just be like a oh spend six years in prison and then you're fine figure like like no fuck you like that is just yeah, at that level of torture and yeah, I'm just, it's, yeah. I'm, I'm I disagree speechless. with the jury. I'm fucking speechless. Well, it's fucking horrible. Let me finish. Sorry. Despite uh, the defense attempts, the jury once again found Anna guilty of first degree murder and aggravated child abuse for the third time. This time she was suspended life in prison instead of getting the death penalty. Oh, fuck you. Because they spent so long trying oh, to do it. Oh, super comfy. Super comfy in your fucking cell getting fed every day and you're just like, fine. I, I, I was literally thinking the same thing. So. I have one more line, y'all. I'm sorry. I'm fucking mad. <laughs> I, know, I'm I know, I know, I know. The presiding judge, Miguel de la O, said in court to Anna, there are wild beasts that show more empathy to their offspring than you showed Lazaro. 
Fuck. And that is my yeah. case, and I'm incredibly sorry. I did not pick it. Fucking murder matchup. It is what it is. Sometimes I mean, I they're entertaining. Sometimes they're they're crazy wild stories, and sometimes they're well, this. Good God. This time we don't pick them. Uh, yeah, I feel sick to my stomach. As a mother, I just like can't even ever fucking. Imagine. And literally reading through it, I'm like, geez, that's fucked. That's fucked. That's fucked. That's fucked. That's fucked. Holy fucking shit! How many times can I say that's fucked? And then having to read it. Made it feel a whole lot different. Totally. A whole lot different. Yeah, sitting here as a mother and just like imagining like empathetically that happening to my own child makes me literally want to vomit. And I just wish I could save them all. I wish I could save all the kids. Because there's so many kids out there that are going through these types of things and they, they don't have a voice. They don't have anything to say. Like they can't speak up for themselves. They can't seek help. And the system. And it's and yeah, literally just system. keeps putting them back into the same exact but that's position I, and places. That's what I said. Why would they even release him back to them if they didn't have? Because it's flawed. Because <sighs> yeah. they're like, oh, you know, kids should be with their mothers. Not fucking always. No. Fuck you. Not fucking always. Definitely not Save in the that fucking case. children. Yeah. <sighs> All right. Well, that was rough. That was a rough one. I hate those ones. Wish we didn't have to talk about them, but true crime is true crime is true crime. On a brighter note, you guys... Next week is Halloween. That's Yay. something to be happy about. Yay. Halloween. And so we got something special coming for you guys. We are doing an episode called Halloween Homicide, whoop, whoop. which yeah. you guessed it. It's homicides that happened on Halloween. Wow. Yeah, don't say. Crazy. This is Halloween. <laughs> this is Halloween. Uh, I can't say any more of that because of copyright issues. <laughs> <laughs> If you have a case that you're just dying to hear us tell, or have any feedback, no matter how sweet or harsh, check out our website at nightcaptruecrime.com, click on the annoy us button, please. and please annoy the fuck out of us. Please, we like it. Please, 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 please. And if you like what you hear, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. It's the easiest way you can help us top the charts and show your love for the show. Please, please, please send us your love. Because we love you. All you bad witches out there, Nightcap True Crime, signing off. See you next week. Bye. 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 <laughs> I love our fucking It's like some, outro. some sort of like a Twilight <laughs> Zone outro. Yeah. No, that's our outro. Oh, oh, shit. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's the. Welcome to the party, Hardy. Oh, shit. Hard Y, soft E. We ain't cutting yet. What? You bitch. That was it. That was the one. That was Hard the one. E, soft E. That, that was the money. It was the money. Sorry, Alabama, for last week. <laughs> <laughs> oh, hate mail is coming in right as we speak. We haven't even published the episode yet. <laughs> I'm signing off now. Sorry.